This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on all things leadership. Hello, I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers and welcome to Season 3 of Leadership Letters. I'm delighted to be back and if you're returning, thank you so much for joining us again. And if this is the first time you're listening, a warm welcome. As it's Episode 1 of Season 3, thought we'd start with a quick bit of background around why I started this podcast, because there are a number of reasons. As part of my work with leaders and teams, it's important to me to make resources available to leaders and future leaders. I share food for thought, tried and tested tools and techniques, questions, different perspectives and sources of reflection, and this podcast is a continuation of that. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that leadership can be quite lonely at times. You might be surrounded by people that you feel very connected to and get on very well with. But there's also something about when the buck stops with you, when ultimate responsibility lies with you, that it can sometimes feel quite isolating. So this podcast is about conversation and it's about community, having somewhere to listen to others going through similar things or finding solutions to similar issues or reflecting on similar successes and challenges. All of these things we hope will be useful to you as leaders. And ultimately, I'm here because I'm passionate about leadership. As I've said many times, you only have to switch on the news to see how leadership ripples constantly into all our lives. Our working day has a huge impact on our lives too, and the lives of those around us. And it's our leaders who have the opportunity to build culture, build teams, organisations and goals, and a sense of purpose that create the conditions for people to thrive for people to achieve, for people to connect and to have a sense of meaning, purpose and contribution. So with all that in mind, we're here to offer support, to offer some challenge, and we hope you find this podcast a source of all those things. Coming up, the Leadership Letters Lowdown, where we will dive into some recommendations for things to read, to watch and to listen to. This is Leadership Letters. For over 20 years, our guest this month has worked with high-profile businesses across multiple industries and across the UK, USA, Canada and Europe. She's founded two startups, she's a member of Tech London Advocates and a mentor on several business growth programmes. From running a market stall, through being the only non-graduate on a graduate training programme, and now as a CEO, she's had connection and communication at the heart of everything she does. Loving nothing more than a challenge, especially one that positively challenges perceptions of HR. She's now the CEO and founder of HR Revolution and recently a runner-up in the Kent Businesswoman of the Year. We are thrilled that guest one for season three is Wendy Reid. Wendy, welcome to the Leadership Letters podcast. Very exciting being number one. (laughs) I'd love to start the way we always start, which is to ask you about your earliest memories of leadership. When did it first dawn on you that leadership was a thing and what impact did it have? I think it took me quite a while. So my uh, my kind of early years, I wasn't a traditional, you know, go to university or, or college and then and step into management and kind of learn the ropes that way. Um, I was kind of thrown in the deep end, didn't really know what I wanted to do, ended up um, on a lovely um, management training course with Harrods, um, which I loved and was great. But when I started, um, they only had the graduate scheme. So I went on to that, which is great. I wasn't a graduate, but I kind of got onto that which is brilliant um and was catapulted into this oh you're a graduate so you're now a manager um so I didn't really have any 
goals and guidelines I just kind of went with the flow and didn't really know what I was doing and kind of faked it until I made it I guess but uh, I did have some really good training and obviously all the methodologies and theories behind it all which was great and which kind of moved me into it but I did um it was only really once I kind of was on the sidelines watching everything happen around me in this bizarre uh, world of management that I realized that actually managers could either at the time thought managers did what they wanted to do and kind of got everybody else to do the work they needed but when I really looked into it saw that actually if you had a really good management style um, and you could help people um, and you could help them to be good at what they did then actually your role became a lot easier. So it's times I want to dive into there already. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, not least, well, particularly given what you do now, I'm really intrigued about the relationship between training and experience in terms of management and successful management. Yeah, I've got two thoughts on this. I think you're either a natural leader, you generally like and want to see people do well, in which case then they you're nurturing them into doing that, or you're a super trained, highly efficient, have all the theory behind you and are able to kind of action that from almost from an analytical perspective way of doing it because that's what you've been trained to do Um, and I don't think either way is a bad way of starting I just think it's one or the other I think a lot of people fall into it I then I I do think it then blends into you being a people person or a business leader as in just focus on business and there is a need for all types of leaders in the world obviously um so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but yeah I do think there's definitely two camps and when you say two camps so I think if I'm hearing you right that's about the starting point that's about kind of where you come in I think quite often we we think of the management side of things so that technical super trained theoretical side of things as the stuff you can learn yeah and that natural leader stuff that you talked about is the stuff that you either have or you haven't. Now, I, I happen to believe you can learn both those things and you can yeah, expand that skill set no matter where you come into it from. But yeah, what's what, what are you what's your take on that? No, I agree. I definitely think you can learn both things. I think it's just where you start from. And I think if you're naturally a people person, then you're you're kind of you veer that way, I guess, because it's easier. You settle into that type of a role. Um, but I definitely 100% think that, you know, either either side can be learned. Um, anything can be learned. And I think if you're open to change and actually you want to develop yourself, then absolutely, you know, there's there's no stopping anybody doing either way. It, it's just, I think, what's easier for you. And I think people tend to fall into what is easy if it works. Is there anything about that? Going back to that early management course, is there anything about that course, either how you felt or specifics of what you remember is there anything that was on that that has stayed with you or has it all blended so it was very much a retail management course so a lot of it was was veered against you know aligned with retail I guess and kind of how to please customers and make sure that everybody's happy and everyone's doing a good job um what it didn't do is and I've, I've still got the books I've still got the books that because back then there was no such thing as the internet so I've still got the actual books that we use um what it didn't have much about was the people you were managing interestingly when I look back on it it was very much about actually if the customers are happy then the team's happy and that's fine um it did have about appraisals it did have about making sure they knew what people were doing but the structure wasn't there and I, I think that's definitely changed now I, I hope it has but I know it's definitely changed with with companies we work with it's all about the people and, the, and kind of about how to, to nurture them but I do think um, the one thing that did stick with me is just to always understand your environment 
So everything I, um, you know, even when I, I've got new clients or I'm speaking to new people or I'm in a new environment, it's kind of taking that time. Um, and I'm kind of one of those people that sits in the background and just watches and kind of listens and um, until I really know what what the situation is. And then I can then I can utilize that skill and make sure that I'm doing the right thing for the right people in the business. And is that something that you advise other people to do? I think it's um, it's almost a read the room thing, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like think about where you are, what the environment is, what the situation is. Um, it definitely lends itself to what I do in, in human resources. But I think generally just in life, I think it's it's useful. So I'm intrigued as to what the component parts of that might be. So if read the room, understand the environment, were the book. Yes. What were the chapters? The title. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it would be definitely be something in there about, um, you know, things aren't always as they would seem. I think there's a lot about particular hierarchy, I guess. And if, if you put it, well, I suppose it could be in, in, in personal life as well. But if you put it into a work context, it's kind of like the hierarchy in the room. Because actually, although, you know, you might have one person talking all the way through, that doesn't necessarily mean they are the most important or not, the, you know, or just the person that's been asked to do it, you know, whatever. Um, and just really understanding the background, where you've come from, I guess, to be in that room and, and, and you know, be it's understanding everything that goes with that. So the complete environment, not just who's in the room, what they're saying and how they feel or look or how you think they feel or look. It's about kind of really thinking about where that's come from. And when you do that, you step back and sort of read the room. And I'm really intrigued by things, keeping that eye on things that aren't always as they seem. So when you do that, for whatever reason, has there ever been a time when you haven't quite honoured that skill and that natural tendency you have and, and seen an impact of that, positive or negative? Yes, absolutely. There are definitely times I've not done that. And I think especially if I'm in a situation where I'm rushed or I've been, you know, or maybe I'm not quite on point you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, not feeling well or stressed about something or thinking about something else or of kind of, I think one of my downsides is that sometimes I go from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. It's almost like I'm kind of, and I think that's a lot of people do that. Um, so you're not necessarily truly present. And that's when I don't read the room sometimes because I'll be thinking about either, yeah, let's get this done or this is what we need to do. And, and it's almost a a tick box exercise for let's get the job done because actually there's a there's a solution we need to come to or whatever it might be for whatever meeting or whatever um so sometimes that that does happen for sure but I do think it's just about kind of taking that breath and and stopping and thinking right new new me let's go into that or new whatever it might be let's go into that let's delve into it and then think about how that works um and I guess when I haven't done it the impact is that my take on whatever we're discussing or whatever you know project or, or, or meeting is about um is often wrong and it means that when I come out I'll, I'll have made some assumptions that I know you should never assume um or I maybe will have put words into somebody's mouth that I think that's what they mean and it's not actually the case I've just not really thought it through and actually very often find myself thinking oh I must go back and apologize to that person or I must go back and explain this is what I meant just because I feel like I'm not I've not quite done it justice I talk a lot about assumptions and I ask people to think a lot about assumptions they might be making. I'd not thought of it in those terms before, though, about how assumptions can be that fast track to being, in inverted commas, present. Can it allow ourselves to tell ourselves that we're present because actually what we're working on is the assumptions we've made rather than what we're truly engaging with? Yeah. But what happens if you catch yourself in the moment? How do you kind of get yourself back to 
you talked about presence rather than being present when I'm thinking about this as an example, it's, it's work meetings. So it's almost like if I've sat in with a client or I've sat in with my team, um, it, it's about making sure that then my presence is known for what I'm there for. So if I'm there to be the HR manager, if I'm there to be the advisor, that I do that job well. Um, if I'm there to be the leader of my team or I'm, you know, I'm supporting them or whatever, I do that well. If I catch myself and realise before the meeting's finished, I almost say to people, hang on a minute, can we just have a breather? And then it, and it naturally then stops me and then I will reassess internally. But if I feel like I have to then reassess outwardly <laughs> to kind of say, can we just can I just get where I'm at of this, you know, where we're at, just to make sure that actually we're going down. the We're all on the same page. And I wonder how often people shy away from doing that when actually it's pretty rare that somebody in a room would have a, an issue with or a problem with somebody saying, can we just take a breather? When yeah. actually so often it's so helpful yeah I've only ever had one person that's got really angry about it and and I think he was having a bad day I think it was just he had so much to do and it was almost like no I haven't got time for that let's just crack on you know we haven't got time for this breathing rubbish so that's the only time and I, but even by then that had then I'd kind of got the the lay of the land then it was a bit like okay fine that's fine I, I know where I am at I love what you said there about being clear on who you are which I know sounds obvious but it goes back to what you said about rushing meeting to meeting to meeting, even if we only have one role within an organisation and that's the role we kind of always take. That role is still different. It's nuanced according to who yeah. we're with, who the stakeholders are, whether it's internal, external, all that kind of stuff. And just stopping to think, who am I? What's my role in this meeting can make such a difference. Yeah, yeah. it's really important. And I think um, I think I'm a number of people every single day. I think everybody is, but yeah. even in my even in just what I do, you know, I can be 10 different people in 10 different meetings. Um, so it's really important for me to understand for myself what I'm expecting to deliver for that particular meeting so that I come out of it with the right um, solution or the right you know, list of things to do or whatever it might be. So I wonder if I can take you back now to, the, to, the, to where you began and ask, because I think what we're tracking here are some of the things that have served you well throughout a range of roles and in a range of environments. What else would you say around your leadership that is still there that was always there and what have you worked hard to develop I've always been a people person and actually I um recently my mum found all of my school reports in the loft like a lot from like young ago even from my primary school and all of my reports have in them Wendy focuses more on what everybody else is doing and wants to make sure they're okay rather than looking after herself like all of them are the same and um which actually I kind of looked back and thought, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I did used to do that. But I'm just very much, uh, I'm interested in people and I kind of want to make sure that everyone's all right. I'm one of those people. Um, good and bad. The fluffy side of me loves that. And it's just like brilliant. And the nurturing side of me loves that because I really want to see people grow. And it's really important that I see people smile and it's a genuine smile and that, you know, they're enjoying stuff. But um, the other side of it is that actually that can then just drain all your energy and all you do is concentrate on others and, and forget about yourself and and as a leader it's as important to look after yourself and to make sure that you're healthy and your well-being's good and all the rest of it as it is for everybody else because you're a role model so actually if you're the one that's stressed and looks like you're 105 when actually you're only 22 you know and it's kind of you know that's not a good look <laughs> so that's something that has stuck with me um being a people person for sure um, and, but what I have had to work on, one of the many things I've had to work on is to make sure that I do take time for myself and I do actually kind of 
recenter I guess and think about okay fine I need a bit of time for myself you know or I've I've worked too long this week or I've done too much or you know all that kind of stuff um just thinking about I need to take a bit of time for me um but also protecting myself on kind of work that I do you know there's there's some things that I don't want to do or actually take me out of my comfort zone again good and bad I love being challenged that's not a problem um but when it's something you don't really necessarily have value in or feel that it fits your values and kind of your ethics then that's something that I now know and it took me a long long time that I can say no to I can imagine that most if not everybody listening has got their own version of how important it is to look after others and so often find myself talking with leaders about the fact that we start to see putting ourselves first as an indulgence yeah rather than what it is which is in service of ourselves as high performers ourselves as sustained performers avoiding burnout those around us both work family all of that important stuff and even as I say it you can always hear people kind of going yeah 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 but (laughs) how do you do it so I really hear that it's important you catch yourself you know you've got to do it yeah what for you are the ways that you do that that you restore a bit for yourself I'm lucky not lucky I don't know if it's a lucky thing I think it's a lucky thing that I don't need that much sleep (laughs) I'm just naturally one of those people that can can work on little sleep that's not a problem for me however there are points where I just all of a sudden I'll be at almost I guess burnout point you know if you speak to a well-being consultant I'm sure they will say that how I work is not good for you know not conducive to a a good well-being life and all the rest of it but um I get to a point where I'm actually okay fine now I need to crash for a bit because I've I've done my robotic let's just churn through everything um and then it's it's a crash point where it's like okay fine I need to crash now and I think I've only really realized um over maybe the last five or six years it's not been that long since I've realized that's what I do I like I work work, 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 and then it's just like okay fine now I'm gonna just do nothing for a a whole weekend or a week or you know I'll take time out and properly crash which when you look at most people that's okay fine I work then I'll have my holiday or I'll work then I'll take a break and you know but this is um for me it was it was almost um I had so much I wanted to do and so many different ideas that my brain just would not stop so it wasn't a it wasn't a oh my god I hate what I'm doing and I but I've just it, it was a passion it was just like I've just got to keep doing it. I've got all this stuff I've got all these ideas so my my brain would go off into 20 different directions I guess which would then keep me going so but I think only in the last five or six years I've realized that actually you know you you get to a point where you can't continue to to do that and actually do I want to continue to do that because I like my downtime you know I'm into my I'm very creative outside of work you know love all my arty arty farty stuff which is great but I never get time to do it um, I also feel like I think because you're striving to kind of always be better and always, you know, I've always, I think that's one of the things that's been ingrained in me from an early, early age, even from my parents, because they're always very much like just do your best and kind of, you know, just whatever you do, you do it in your way, but you kind of do it, just try, always try and be better, better, better. Um, so I've always tried to do that. Um, and I think it then you know you end up comparing yourself with other people and thinking oh I should be doing that and then you go off in that direction and then and then somebody else comes along that's got a better idea or you think oh they're you know they're living the life um you know all the socials and insta of the world these days don't necessarily help and I actually do you know what I think if I hadn't have got into the well-being stuff and I probably wasn't in HR I'd still be going a million miles an hour and there'd be no stop until life made me stop yeah I the the difference between realizing that well-being stuff needs to be proactive rather than only ever responsive that's not 
not good and I think the language is really interesting I know that there'll be people listening to this who hear the word well-being and think yeah and it must be a key feature of what you do now how you combine organizations awareness of what needs to be done and how people need to feel in order for them to have happy thriving organizations yeah absolutely and I think it's um you know if you if you get the language right and you um kind of listen and I guess that's where being present in you know in in your role in that because you know we're I'm not a wellness expert other than knowing from HR you know what we need to do to kind of keep people happy and keep people engaged and retained and all the rest of it um and loving what they're doing so that actually they want to come to work and they want to you know add add value when they're there um but I do think it's um there's a big part of it which is about just adjusting the language so that it fits a really good example of that is um meditation so I've I've talked about mindfulness you know I do it I practice myself I love it um it's really helped me but um I will talk to people even in my team and they're all HR people and some will love it some will think it's a load of rubbish but then when you say to them it's just about grabbing a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and sitting and and being you know just not stressing they love that and so many perceptions out there and they're they're the social media thing again becomes double-edged doesn't it it's brilliant for people to be having more access to and think about these issues and how to address them in more and more ways and on on the flip side of it it can really switch someone off something that could be of huge value to them yes we must move on (laughs) <laughs> so I, know you've, I know you've done your homework and done what we love to do on the leadership letters, which is write a letter. Yes. So, dear leaders, I write to a few of you unnamed for compassionate reasons, as I feel you were all equally responsible for helping me become the leader I am today. I must admit, when thinking about my past and who inspired me to start my own business and become a leader, when I thought about who I wanted to choose to write this letter to, I struggled. Not because I haven't been or worked with inspiring people before I've had some amazing people in my life but because when I think about who truly inspired me to become the type of leader I am today there isn't really one person you've all been there to guide me and demonstrated how as a leader you can influence people's lives and make a difference so I guess I've spun the question of who has inspired me on its head my leadership letter is actually for those who inspired me to do things differently but to put people first and not to follow their examples at all. Those who have shown me through the bad and sometimes immoral leadership just how important the role of a leader is and the negative impact the wrong leadership can deliver to the lives of people around you. It sounds super negative and anyone that knows me will know that I'm a super positive person but I honestly can say without having experienced the how not to do a situation I don't think I would have been focused on making sure that I tried my best to become the most pro-people leader that I could. So all of you, I totally understand that leadership back in the 90s and noughties was different. In the main, there wasn't such a focus on people loving what they did. It was more about the them and us culture. The world of work was more about being grateful you had a job and not complaining. Almost a bullish do what I say culture, not what I do which for those I experienced meant it brought up egomaniacs and power hungry. For those of you who I'm referring to, I hope that you now see the changes across the world of work, how important being a positive mentor or leader is, that supporting and guiding those that are under your wing is the most important part of your role as a leader. 
from a young age, straight out of school, through my early career in human resources, I was lucky enough to experience all of your many personalities and learn from them. I learned how you impacted your environment and the people within it. And at a time, not really understanding just how much of a life lesson I was getting, I grew as a person because of that. So this is a thank you letter to you all because you've challenged me. You really have made me think. You have made me question and made me want to change things. It proves to me that out of adversity really can come the energy and drive to do good, to support others, to be the best version of themselves. So to those who have truly inspired me to do better, I want to thank each and every one of you, because without you, I wouldn't have had the drive to commit to try and make a difference. Thank you, Wendy. It's something I've wanted, actually, for a while is I've been hoping somebody on, on Leadership Letters would bring up that thorny issue of we, we're not only inspired by the people that do right by us, we are also inspired influenced however we want to put it by those who who don't and appreciate I love what you said unnamed for compassionate reasons because there's something really important about that too isn't there that if if we subscribe to that notion that everyone is doing their best with what they have we can be compassionate particularly if, if those people have chosen to see those things and grow well there are two strands to this I'd love to explore how do they influence how you lead now I think you've probably touched on that a lot already how do they also influence not just how you lead, but the whole of what you do, your approach. There has been a huge influence there for sure. And I do, I do kind of look at it. Um, and I, my lessons were for me as a leader, looking at kind of, oh, I don't want to be like that. Or, or, or I, I guess I saw the impact of their actions because I wasn't a leader at the time, was moving into that role, actually got into becoming a leader purely because everyone was either sacked or resigned. So it was, uh, I was placed in that role in kind of a, you know, dumped in from above point of view. Um, and either, uh, do you want to do this or not? Uh, if you don't want to do it, then, you know, off you go. Um, and I'm quite stubborn. So <laughs> dug my heels in and thought, yes, I do want to do this. Let's see if I can make a difference. So I think in my lead up to that, I saw the negative outcomes of how those people had been managed, um, had been advised, had been trained, whatever it might be. And I do think a lot of them led in the way they did because that's what they were showed was how to do it. So I don't necessarily think anyone was was doing it. There may have been a few that were doing it because that's how they like to do it. But I think in the main it's because that's what they've seen. They learn, you know, they mimicked, they've been trained, um, they've seen how things have worked in the past and that's what they continue to do. Um, so I think that's a really big learning lesson for me as a leader, but also then moving into my company. So I had a company previous to this, but also now what I do now within um, HR and HR Revolution, it's it's about understanding that actually the people that you're dealing with, even if they do come across as, as being, you know, in inverted commas, bad leaders, they might not realise, they might not understand, and they might not get that there are other ways to do it. Um, they also may realise and may be quite happy and that's the way they are. And, and I guess for us, that's where the, you know, our decision on who we work with comes in, because if we can't add value to somebody and we can't help them um, because they're stuck in, too stuck in their ways um, and there isn't that change ability, um, there are plenty of other amazing HR professionals out there that can help them. You know, it's just not for us. So I think then we can kind of look at um, actually who works well with what we do and how we can add value but I think all of those lessons from way back then have culminated and it was only really when I started thinking about doing this 
um, podcast with you that I kind of really thought about it. It's just like, actually all of that has come into play throughout my life, really, because I've I've always looked at them. What does what does what I've just said or what does how somebody's then um, received something come into play? And you described a really challenging. Well, my assumption is a challenging situation of recognizing some pretty negative impact of the way things are being done wanting to take the opportunity when it's given to you and having then that challenge of fitting into a culture whilst simultaneously trying to shift it and not necessarily from a high enough point in the organisation to have as much influence as you want. Can you tell us a bit more about how that was? Yeah, it was it was very challenging. I was very much thinking about everybody else in the business or those that I had um, and this all happened when I worked at Harrods. So this was, the, you know, everyone in the business, there was 5,000 staff there. It was a big, big team. It was one of those where being dumped in, my thought process around it was actually, I'm going to really try and help sort this out and get this sorted. I had no experience, no experience at all, um, other than the, the tiny bit that I'd had from being on my course with them. Um, but I just had that drive of no I can't and I think somebody I can't remember who it was but I know somebody did say to me oh, I'm not sure you'll be able to do it because you know you've not been here long enough and it was almost like you can't do it which then obviously heels came out dug straight in and it's like actually I can let's get on so I would read everything I would speak to everybody that I knew that was in a leadership role I would try and get out and speak to everybody uh, in the business to to kind of get where they're at and just get my head around it. And I think, you know, I think it was more luck than judgment. A lot of the stuff that I, I managed to do, you know, I was able to set up quite a lot of new things there, set up a new recruitment um, department, I guess, um, to help, you know, onboarded some really good people, got some, you know, and, and slowly but surely through no, um, not, not being senior at all, not having the the ability to sign off that much really it was almost you know it was just uh it was just really hard work and actually just doing the legwork myself to kind of get us to a point where actually I felt comfortable that it was a better environment it wasn't necessarily the best but it was a better environment and actually I was making people's lives or some of those people's that I, that I was working with um more enjoyable I guess so I'm just going to challenge you slightly Wendy on more by luck than judgment there because I think I'm <laughs> Because I think there's 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 much in there that people listening to this can can take from that experience because it's a it's a difficult place to be to be trying to influence culture and many people find themselves in it. Absolutely, I, I do think. And when I say more by that more luck than judgment, it was I had no real guidance on on what I should be doing. I didn't really know what was right or wrong. I just kind of went with my gut. So it was just luck that whatever I did within that had a little bit of impact and, and kind of started to change things so I think culture is really interesting because there has to be something about what's unique and specific and special about your organization what is it that makes your organization your organization and there are also there have to be I'm sure universal things that contribute to a thriving culture doing what you do where you have to bring so much that is the same for everyone into all these different organizations with their different cultures what would you say contributes to a thriving culture no matter what the organization is doing I think one of the biggest um, areas is listening to your culture obviously it doesn't talk but it kind of does it does though doesn't it yeah yeah (laughs) 
it's really listen I think I think the heart I think what's been a massive problem with a lot of companies that we've worked with is where they've tried to be Google or they've tried to be they've picked you know and I only say Google because obviously it was all in the news with you know we've got slides in our meeting rooms and we've got grass in the kids you know all that kind of stuff people have tried to emulate that which is great and actually if they want to you know all that stuff is brilliant but I think you are who you are as a business and everybody's got their own nuances and will have their own tribe of people that will work for them because they love that um, and I think it's about un- really understanding and being true to that rather than trying to have this almost imposter syndrome the other way where you're trying to be somebody that you're not as a business um, because that way I think is where it, because it's not true it's really hard to keep up you, it can be done we've seen people that have tried to do things and they have managed to do it but it's hard work it's really hard work and I think business is hard life is hard in itself it's it's you know why make it harder I love that I love listening to culture there's something you said earlier about how you you kind of got to be honoring of the past and whether that past is always comfortable to look at isn't necessarily going to be the case but it's only by listening to who you are and where you've come from that you can either build on it and or change it yeah so one more thing you know we love a book or a resource if you had a to read recommendation that you'd share with our listeners in closing what would it be my one book and in fact I've got about 10 of them in the office because I'm so I love it so much um that I would always say if you want to kind if you're you want to read about people and change is Tom Peters reimagine from 2003 in fact it's on my desk here (laughs) but it's my go-to it's the reason I started HR Revolution he's the he's the person that gave me the drive to kind of think about people in business slightly differently but actually it's not and it's not fluffy you know he's an American full-on let me tell you how it is type guy I think everybody would enjoy a bit of Tom Peters so with that Wendy It's been a joy to have you on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Time now for this month's Leadership Letters Lowdown. Having been away for a while, there's plenty to choose from for the lowdown. And if you want to catch up on any recommendations you may have missed, please do head to thecausewaycoaching.com where you can flick through some back issues of the newsletter and blog posts for more of these recommendations. I began this year with a lot of reading, writing and reflecting and it struck me as I was reflecting on what enables leaders and teams to thrive and by thrive I mean the combination of well-being, resilience and business outcomes that so much of what I read, learn and have experienced through working with all of you comes down to three key actions. Get to know yourself better, get to know each other better, and go towards what you learn. This wasn't news to me, but I don't think I'd put it in such simple terms before. The more I get to know myself and others, and the more I go towards what I learn, the better the outcomes are. Going towards what we're learning about ourselves and each other is sometimes complex, challenging, brings feelings of risk and vulnerability. Sometimes it's a breeze and a joy. Increasingly, in recent years, My work on what I'm getting to know about myself and others, though, is by looking at what I might have missed. Who I am and how I have seen and experienced the world throughout my life has all contributed to how I see and don't see the world right now. 
So this year, my intention is to continue the lifelong work of getting to know myself better by focusing on what I might have missed or misunderstood. And my work with leaders is indeed doing just that. And my to read recommendation this month connects to that. So my recommendation is The Authority Gap by Mary Ann Sieghart. This is a book that sets out why we all need to understand that whether we like it or not, we are biased. And that when we address bias, everybody benefits. She says, we can accept that however liberal and intelligent we are, we probably suffer from unconscious bias, whether against women or people of colour or people of a different class or a different country or a different sexuality. We may be biased against introverts or city dwellers. We can't stop unconscious bias or put a lid on it. We don't need to feel ashamed of it. But we can recognise that the bias is based on incorrect assumptions and then correct it. This book is a brilliant resource for leaders who want to go towards the question of what their biases are and how they can start to address them. My to watch recommendation this month connects to another topic that's crucial for leaders and teams, and that is trust. I was talking to a ski instructor recently who was telling me about an exercise he had to do as part of his training, where he and a partner had to guide each other to ski down the mountain. The catch being that one of the pair had to be in a blindfold. He then went on to tell me about teaching a blind pupil of his to ski and how they communicated via a headset and the incredible level of responsibility he felt alongside an almost overwhelming sense of admiration. I was really struck by the level of trust in these stories, the trust given, the trust received, both of which were courageous in different ways, I think. And I continue to wonder whether I would have the strength to trust someone so entirely in a situation that I would find utterly terrifying. So it's an interesting question for leaders and teams. Do you trust each other? And how do you know? In what circumstances would you question that trust? And what does that tell you about what you need more of? Trust is often a theme in both individual and team coaching, the need to build it or deepen it, the impact of having it, and the impact of not. So a really useful exercise for leaders and teams can be to regularly reflect on trust. And here are some questions you could use to do that. What in the past week have I or others said and done that has increased trust? What in the past week have I or others said and done that was possible because of the trust we have? What have I or others said and done in the past week that may have decreased trust? And finally, looking ahead, what are the opportunities in the next week to increase trust? So coming back to that to watch recommendation connected to trust is a film called The Rescue. I found this deeply moving, deeply upsetting and incredibly inspiring to watch. It's a film documenting the rescue of 12 boys and their coach trapped in a flooded cave in Thailand in 2018. It's one you can watch over and over reflecting on trust. And also reflecting on maybe what you as a leader would have done in these circumstances. There are so many moments of decision in this film to spark reflection and so much to think about in terms of the power of team, of communication and of purpose. So let's round off the Leadership Letters Lowdown today with my recommendation of something to listen to. I've only just started to listen to Louise Minchin's podcast, Push Your Peak, and I'll confess I had mixed feelings when this podcast was recommended to me purely based on the title. 
I was wondering what's the relationship between pushing your peak and burnout? Having listened to the episode interviewing endurance cyclist Mark Beaumont, I think this raises some really interesting questions and offers great insights into how long the preparation needs to be in order to push your peak. It's not something to do without thought, gradual build and calling on expertise and careful management, which in fact sounds like an approach to avoiding burnout. So I was really intrigued by this and I'm definitely going to be listening to some more episodes. So that's it for this month. It's great to be back and thank you for joining us. If you're one of our newbies and want to go back and listen to previous episodes, please do just hit follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. And in fact, to all of you, a like and a follow really does help us to get the word out. So we appreciate it greatly if you can hit those. My thanks again to Wendy Reid for sharing her experiences, insights and her brilliant new take on the leadership letter. And if you'd like to write your own leadership letter, maybe to one of the leaders featured in today's episode, to a leader you've worked for or to a leader you've admired from afar, I'd love to hear from you. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection on all things leadership. See you soon. Thank you.